Hi there, this is the Four Parents Podcast, and I'm your host, Ivy Lassiter. Pop in your earbuds and multitask while we talk about all of the parenting stuff. This is the big city version, by the way. Parenting stuff like lessons learned, funny stories, and practical wisdom from normal people who have been there. In this episode, I'm talking with my friends, Buddy and Gail. You're going to hear about how they made their way from Richardson, Texas to New York City, how they raised their two children in that big city. Their daughter is Abigail and their son is Coleman. They're pretty remarkable people and their kids are too. Buddy and Gail both have extensive experience on Broadway. Yes, the Broadway. They currently own a tap and musical theater school called Shuffles and I've been to one of their productions and it is absolutely amazing. It's like one of my favorite New York memories. Abigail was very involved and successful in ballet and Coleman thrived in tennis. As you would imagine, this episode is entertaining. Oh, it's so fun to listen to. And there are lots of lessons within this conversation. So here it is. So I want y'all to go back to, you you know, y'all are living in Richardson. You went to SMU, right? SMU. And then y'all decided we're going to move. We're going to move to New York City. Like what? Why did you move there? What compelled you to do that? Uh, for me, one word is Broadway. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> Broadway. <laughs> the lights. <laughs> so, Theater, you know. So by the time that decision happened, Gail had gone to UT for two years and then transferred to SMU. I went to SMU on a music scholarship. And every summer that we were in college for three summers, we worked in Fort Worth at Casa Mignotta. And in those days, Casa Mignotta produced you know, five to seven musicals a summer. So they would hire a resident singer, dancer company, uh-huh. and you instantly joined Actors Equity, which is the acting union. And we worked with all of these actors from New York and LA. Okay. So every, every summer, we had this exposure to a completely professional world of musical theater. So it wasn't, it wasn't like it was just this this decision, let's just go and not know anybody. We knew a lot of people. Oh, okay. You know, and had and, connections and knew how to kind of navigate the world up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, although we didn't know New York City at all. Yeah. I actually had never been to New York City. What? You yeah. just, what? Did you I, fly had, or had drive you, up there? You like, been to New York? I had been to New kid? York. Yeah. Well, I'd been to New York once. So, but, so my, you know, I was in the choir at Richardson and, you know, did all of the like in, the, in those days, you know, in the 70s, Richardson was a huge school. Our graduating class was a thousand kids. OK. And every grade was that big, if not bigger. And um, and the, all of the, the arts programs were really big and really good. And right. so, you know, and every the difference in you know, that was kind of shocking to me moving to New York City is you take for granted in Texas, like everybody's got great music, like every school, every church, every every community has great music everywhere you go. You move to New York City, like that's not the case. You know, really? like, like there's great, the you know, there's great stuff at the very top of everything, like uh-huh. greatest opera in the world, the greatest musical theater in the world, the greatest symphonies in the world. But the school systems are, you know, it's a very different thing than in New York, than in, in Texas, where every public school has a phenomenal choral director uh-huh. Interesting. And, a, and a phenomenal band and a phenomenal orchestra. And those things, I think, as as Texans, you know, we took for granted until we had children and they went to great schools. And it's like, um, what these programs are not <laughs> no are not, no good music not, and drama and yeah. interesting. Okay, I wanna I wanna go back to y'all are like, okay, we we know some people that live in New York. We're gonna move up there. We've hardly we've never been there. Like, what did your parents think of this? Well, we had also, we did the, um, the, the summer, uh, after our, we graduated from, um, college, Uh we went to Maine. So we, 
so we had to, we flew through New York to go up to our job in Maine, which was another summer stock theater. Okay. And that also had a lot of New York, you know, actors and directors and stuff. And so we flew through there and saw, like, I saw my first Broadway show and I guess you did too. We saw a few, you know, Broadway shows and we picked up the trade paper, the backstage. And um, on the way home, we did that. And I saw an audition that I thought I was perfect for. So uh, it said, um, we're looking for young ballet dancers for Music Man coming to Broadway with Dick Van Dyke. Uh and um you know young and ballet trained and I'm like oh that's me so um (laughs) when we we flew back home and I packed up and like I don't know what was a week 10 days later we we came yeah I think our season so that the the way we got to Maine is the head of the dance department at SMU was a woman named Tony Beck okay in the 70s who and at that time she was a very well-known figure in Dallas she also ran the Neiman Marcus Greenhouse. Okay. And she had gotten her union equity card working at this theater in Maine in the 50s, in the late 50s. And the producer who owned the theater was this woman who had been, who was a pianist, and she had been one of Richard Rogers' accompanists. Okay. And so she knew every, every composer, every designer, every, you know, in New York City. And she would ask these people to come up to Maine and work. And she asked Tony back, she said, I know you have great dancers at SMU. Would you just make some recommendations? Because I'll take your recommendations. So she asked Gail if she wanted to go. And Gail said, yes. And I said, I want to go. And she said, well, you have to go audition because I can't recommend you. You know, so I said, okay, great. You set it up. We'll go. So we went together. Were you all married at the time? No, no. Okay, okay. We were we were dating pretty seriously. And um, so we we met. Vicki Crandall in her apartment on West 54th Street in 1979 and auditioned for her our spring break of our senior year. And she hired both of us and we saw four Broadway shows and came back to New York. I mean, came back to Dallas and graduated SMU, went to Maine for the summer, went back to Dallas and did like a fruit basket turnover, came back to New York. Gail walked into the audition for Music Man and like got hired on the spot. Gail, did you? <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah, it was very fortunate. <laughs> and, and, oh, I just feel like that's not a lot of people's stories, right? Like, no, but it was, you know, it was amazing because I had never really navigated the subway or been to a cattle call or, you know, so it was just like, you know, at that time I had to get on the subway to go to the audition that had like, you know, 200 people or whatever. And, and she was gosh. wearing like spike heels. And, no, and I was and 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 jeans with the skyline of no. Dallas on the rear on the rear. No, that's true. This is true. Not to my audition. You did. You wore them everywhere. <laughs> well, it was it was 1979, so who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, long time ago. <laughs> Give me a break on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a fact. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you know, it was it was a lot just to get just to navigate New York City to get to the audition. Right. Once I got there, I was confident in the training that I had. So I guess right. you know that that kind of uh, radiated. Um, and I think also I just looked like I was fresh off the bus because I was. <laughs> right. You know. Buddy, but, did you did hmm? did you audition quickly? Did you did. get a job quickly? I did audition for Music Man and they said thank you very much. And <laughs> and um and in that time, so I was auditioning for everything I could. I had a, a church singing job at a, a little a, a Methodist church in White Plains. And I did a few church subbing, singing jobs in in the city. And I worked at Macy's like 20 hours a week. Okay. And I worked as an off-the-books cashier at a restaurant that happened to have, that I thought was in a very bad neighborhood. And that very bad neighborhood is where we live right now. (laughs) Well, it it was very bad. (laughs) It was a restaurant that was across the street from our apartment on 89th and Broadway. That's crazy. that's you where know, you worked right off the bat. I I worked right there, there like two nights a week as a, you know, doing a shift as a cashier in a restaurant. And I would get like 20 bucks cash out of the out of the till at the end of the night oh just to ring things up. And then I got hired like within a month 
to be one of the original New Yorkers at Radio City to do the very first um, magnificent Christmas spectacular. No. It was the first 90-minute Christmas show that Radio City produced. So now that's the that's their big famous show. Right. And you so, were the original cast? Yeah, I was in the original <laughs> cast. So at that time... At Either that, that time, means that you really are kind of getting old. If that, I, I was about to say yes. exactly the same thing, Ivy. That, that is a fact also. Um, so... So, yeah. So at that time, Radio City Music Hall was the last of the big um, music hall movie theaters in left in New York City. The other ones had been torn down and and the city landmarked first. They landmarked the lobby because of the design. It's this very famous Art Deco design. And then they landmarked the hall. And when that happened, Radio City Music Hall Productions became a company and they decided that they would try, instead of showing movies with a short live show, they would stop showing movies and they would produce 90 minute spectacular shows. So they had featuring the Rockettes right. and the New Yorkers. So the New Yorkers were a group of 24 singer dancers who were t- going to be in every show with the Rockettes. So the That's first. So cool. The first show was. So. Gail started rehearsals for Music Man and I had all these crazy little jobs because <laughs> I think my first sublet was from a friend. We worked in Maine for and it was $400 a month and I think I had $200. So I had to do everything I could to scrape together <laughs> enough money to pay the rent. And then I got hired at Radio City and um, and I worked there for two years. So, you know, I did the Christmas show and then I did a show they called It's Spring uh-huh. which was like the Easter show. And then, um, and I sang the beginning of Easter parade and then the Rockettes all came on, you know, it was like this unbelievable way to come to New York city. Right. Well, both of y'all did. Okay. So you've given me kind of a picture of how you got your jobs. Like what was that life like? I thought it was really fun. You know, you know? I mean, it was a, it was a real adventure Yeah, that was right. completely different than anything we had ever seen or known. No, I think exactly. What's interesting about, you know, New York City, I think that we both like is that it's extremely accessible. And I think that's even the same today. And I think it's for every, um, it's, it's a lot of businesses. Like, you know, it's very different than say Dallas or Los Angeles where you have to get in your car and drive everywhere. Like you can look at something and I'm sure it's all online, even though we're not doing this. And just go there, go, you know, get off the subway and go there. And it's not very far. And when you, and when you, and you know, you, you were, you know, you've been here a lot and you get on the subway, you go to these places, you see people, you know, so it's a very small new Manhattan is a very small town and, right. and actors, casting directors, directors, music directors, people that we worked with all are going to the same places at the same time. So all of these people that we had worked with at Casa Manana in Fort Worth and in Maine, we saw them all, all over the place. Yeah. It, it, so, felt like, it feels like a college campus still. Yeah. You know? Like you walk around the college campus and you see your friends going to classes or whatever. Right. And it kind of, it's weird. It kind of feels the same. Yeah. Right. I love that. And rather than getting in your car and being by yourself, you're getting on... You and you're seeing people and then you walk with them and then, you you know, that's so, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So even, you know, like, like our son is in finance and now, you know, a lot of people are working from home, but a a lot of the buildings in that industry are in the same place. So when it's bustling, like he sees people that he knows from college and growing up in New York, high school, all over the street all the time you know? Right. So I think it's kind of the same in New York City and a lot of industry because people have to be on the street. They have to Uh pretty much, if you're going to function in New York City, you have to take public transportation. You know, you, and I've run into so many people over the years, you know, I ran into a a cousin of mine with his high school class um, from Little Rock, Arkansas, and another cousin from... (laughs) 
you know, from Abilene with her high school class, you know, I knew oh they were gosh. coming and it's because they all end up in Times Square you know, oh. <laughs> going to going going to Broadway shows or getting on the subway yeah. to go down to see the Statue of Liberty or something like that. Yeah. Uh, hop on, hop off, hop off buses. Yeah. So, yeah. so that is kind of a wonderful thing about New York is it's, it's 13 miles, you know, whatever square. Right. And so when you're going to the places where everybody goes, you see your friends, you see people. Yes. It, yeah. I could imagine in some ways it feels like a college campus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to jump a little bit ahead. Tell me about when Abigail was born. Was that? I mean, it it affects what your career, because your yeah. your yeah. career is your body. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially for it, me. Well, Gail's, <laughs> yeah. But like, was that something y'all talked about? Like how this would impact your career and that kind of thing? Interesting enough, I don't think we actually planned very much of anything we did. Well, no, I don't think we talked. Um, we didn't talk in those practical terms. Right. I think because we, before we started dating, we had become really good friends and we had kind of a similar kooky sense of humor. So we became really good friends and then we started dating when we were this our second summer that we were working at Casa Mediana. So there were certain things I think that we're extremely fortunate that, you know, we have, you know, similar faith background and, mm-hmm. you know, so that we knew, okay, we want to be married. We want to have kids, but not for a while. So let's, let's like try to, to work on Broadway. And that's all we really yes. talked about. So yeah, it yes. wasn't really that we sat down and said, you know, when we have our first child, it's going to really affect your body and you may not be able to work. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. And we never, we never actually talked or thought about there it. There was, and there was and also no planning about how would these kids go to school and where would we they knew go? nothing. Right. We, we knew nothing about New York. I had never changed a diaper. So, and that has nothing to do with New York, but, but um, parenting, our kids yes. lived. But yeah, they, they did. Right. They survived. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Their diapers got changed. (laughs) Right. You could figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so, which I think is completely normal to be like, Hey, but here comes a baby. Let's figure it out. So we were married seven years before I got pregnant. (laughs) Okay. So So we were young when we married. We were very young. And um, so we just had a great time that, you know, for seven years with just ourselves to think about. Yes. Audition and take dance classes and, you know, acting classes and try to make money to survive. But it was all fun and an adventure, you know. Right. Um, And we were, you know, and we were working. I mean, Gail was working on Broadway a lot, you know, from basically one Broadway show to the next. And and I was working enough in regional theater. So it was kind of, you know, fun. We would travel and see each other. And, you know, when she was on the road and before we were married in Music Man, she came in. And during that time, you know, the New Yorkers were like singing live on Good Morning America. And, you know, and then I would go out and visit her in San Francisco and L.A. So there was we had a really fun time. And then we we had a big fight and got married. And. <laughs> And um, wait, whoa, just whoa, like wait, that. What? Just like that. We had, a, we had a big fight. And my solution <laughs> to the fight was I came home between shows at Radio City and I said, look, why don't we end this argument and just get married? And I uh-uh. said, and Gail said, yes. And she was no. folding her laundry. And so we called our our the pastor that I had grown up with, Don Benton, uh-huh. who was at Lover's Lane Methodist at the time. Okay. And he knew Gail and I really well. He knew, you know, her, Gail's family and he knew both of us really well because he would come see us in all these shows. And oh. and we said, look, we want to get married. I think I can get a week off from Radio City. Uh, can you marry us Labor Day weekend? And he said, yes. Yes. If we want to get married at Perkins Chapel at SMU, he said, I'll fix it. Don't worry about it. So it was so. and that was only two months before we got married. So yeah. it was quick. And it wow, was kind fast. of a miracle, yeah. I think, that he had um availability on labor day weekend because that's a right. big wedding time and right. we also uh perkins chapel did too which is where yeah. we wanted exactly to. yeah oh that so gets booked out it was kind of a advanced. miracle but yeah, we um, got, yeah yes it was and then we you know so 
I flew home. We got married. We went to Acapulco for three days and then flew back to New York. I went right back to work. Gail was supposed to start rehearsals for a Broadway show in like a new, another new Broadway show in like a month. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, but I got sung by a sea urchin in Acapulco and my no. foot was on her foot on my foot which is not good for a dancer so you know I'm like panicked because nobody yes. here could figure out what to do um and until you get all the spines out your my foot was completely huge oh I couldn't get shoes on I it was terrible uh, our parents both met us at the airport when we in, at DFW when we flew back from Acapulco before we went to New York and Gail's dad said, oh, yeah, I had a pilot friend who had a sea urchin sting and they had to cut his leg off. No, they, he did not. Oh, my gosh. No, that is not true. He said he was paralyzed, but which oh is not good either. Yeah. Um, but but as soon as the spines came out, he was fine. So he it was like a temporary paralysis. Okay. okay. But they didn't know for him what it was. So they just were like, why is this guy paralyzed? Cut his leg off is a better right. story. No, yeah, that is untrue. <laughs> so, but you got you were fine by the time the show started. Yes. Well, the only reason I was fine was that um, the um, rehearsals were pushed back, um, so I had a little more time to recover. Oh. oh. But okay, so then after that, y'all are married for seven years. Like this, so in the seven years, y'all are different shows. Yeah. Lots of travel. Is that right? Yeah. Both having a decent amount of travel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did y'all move into this your current apartment at that time or not? No, we were on Seventh okay. Street. So okay. And this was kind of a divinely led miracle too. So we had we had friends who lived in the building actually who lived in nine A in Hannah's apartment. Oh my gosh! And we had really good friends who lived there, and they were like, and Gail was pregnant with Coleman. And they were like, you guys should move up to our building. There's an apartment available. So we applied and we got accepted. And it was going to be a stretch for us to take. And it was a bigger apartment. It was a, and it was going to be a big financial stretch. And it turned out that the apartment was taken by the nephew of one of the owners of the building who lived in the building. And they said, well, you know, he gets the apartment, but you're welcome to his apartment, but you're not going to want it because it's not as big. And he's like, but you can go look at it. So we looked at it and we said, um, we'll take it. And it's this apartment. So, oh, and it was, that's it awesome. Was $25 a week, a month more than we were paying for our one bedroom apartment down on 74th street. So in, which is not bad. Which, not yeah. bad. And it's yeah. it is bigger. It's not. I mean, it's not a tremendous amount bigger, but, but it's more divided yeah. space. It was it was more divided so. space, and you know there were elevators and those things. Yeah, we lived in a, a oh, second floor the- walk up, and it was. So we had Abigail there. <clears throat> so we had Abigail there, and then we moved here when she was not quite. She was almost. Two. No, she was almost three. Oh no! Yeah, almost. Three. Yeah. Yeah, not quite three. So, I want to get this picture. It's a it's a second floor walk up. You have a baby. Yeah. With the stroller. Yes. It, it was and tough. You're walking up and down the stairs. And she had time. and she had bad knees and, <laughs> and double knee surgery <laughs> from as a dancer. Yeah. Well, what? anyway, it, yeah. It, you know what? Raising kids in New York is um, you take all your uh things that you did when you, when your parents were raising you in Texas, you you know, it's just a whole different ball game. You know, you don't put your kids in the car seat, your cars or whatever. I don't know if we had, did we have car seats back? No, I mean, I think we eventually bought one. Um, No, but yeah, (laughs) you know, you, you don't put your groceries in the back of the trunk, you know, you're hauling groceries and hauling um, the, you know, pushing the stroller. Then you have to like figure it out how to, anyway, it's a lot. It's a lot on you. Yeah. Subway, getting on, you know, the stairs, navigating the buses. It was a great neighborhood, though. It was a great neighborhood, know. but it's a lot. It but, is a lot. And yeah. I would put Abigail, I remember, in the snuggly um, to go everywhere, you know, and we were, we were a lot younger then. So going up and down the stairs, but I can remember walking through the fairway 
you know, grocery store, which was this phenomenal grocery store right on 74th and Broadway. And the old ladies would like bump into me and say, your wife is probably out working like crazy. What are you doing home during the day with a baby? You know, like, like, no. like yelling at me because I, probably was because I, I, yeah. was, I had the baby on me during the middle of the day. You know, so Gail, what was your job? What did you do when, like, what did you do when you were pregnant? And those you know, uh, when work? I, when I was pregnant, we, I ended up because we needed the money, you know, I ended up taking a temp job in, in, um, kind of near grand central. And so, you know, I would get, I'd have to be there at nine o'clock, you know? And so I would get on the subway, the subway, the shuttle, and I'm huge pregnant and no one gives you a seat or, and you're like crammed in there. And, um, so I did that. I also did some pregnancy modeling, some print work. Oh, uh, okay. And I actually went to auditions that were going to, the show was going to happen after the baby was born. And I remember going in and singing and reading with my huge, you know, for like a dance job, they say, well, you don't need to dance, but we need to hear you <laughs> sing. And I walk in with like this giant stomach and high heels and they'd be like, <laughs> because at that time we honestly didn't know hardly anybody that was married or We're heaven forbid babies. have a baby. Right. Right. I mean, we right. really didn't. I think it's very different now. Uh, I think that people are doing that more easily for some reason, but when we were around, nobody was having a baby or getting married. You know, we um, were like some weird yeah. couple, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was, it, to be married and have a child and both work in it's just tough in the industry we do was uncommon mm -hmm. and there were you know colleagues of ours a, a woman we I worked with at Radio City who is good friends of ours she is the reason because she was pregnant when she was a, she was in the original cast of Les Mis and when wow. she got pregnant and went and you know they basically said okay have a nice baby see ya And she was like, no, I want to come back. And they're like, well, you had a baby. You can't come back. And so uh -huh. the AFL-CIO had to step in and force the union to force the producer to hire her back. So wow. I, I also lost a job because yeah. I had just had Abigail, a, a job that was going to Lincoln Center, anything goes. And, you know, they basically told me at the very last moment before, you know, I had auditioned for, you know, many, many, many times. And they basically said, you know, you have a new baby. And what would happen if she had an earache when you have to be at the theater and she's screaming? You're just not going to come in. And I, you know, so it, it was a real bias. Hard. Against, it, was a, it was a different time. And I, I was like, well, let me handle that. You know, I will be there. And um, right. but I did at the last minute, I didn't get the job. And I know that's yeah. what it was. Did, do y'all feel like it's changed? Yes. I, I mean, I do think, I mean, I think it's changed because the world has changed, but, um, but I, I, you know, I think it's changed, but I'm sure it's still, people don't necessarily want to hire you. If, I don't know. I don't really well, know. Certainly they won't are, talk yeah. about it now, you, but they, yeah. yeah. They, you know, <laughs> if they, that's the reason it won't yeah. be made known. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I would, I think if I was still auditioning, I would keep it as quiet as I could. They can't be so openly right. verbal, but the, cause they'll get sued. But, you know, but right. But um, I do think the industry has changed favorably in those ways. And certainly, you know, we're in a moment when so many things are changing yeah. all over the place. You know? Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So after, Gail, after having kids, you did get back on Broadway, did? Yes. Okay. Was um, actually, I did. The, the, the first Broadway show I did after having children um, I had done other theater jobs, but the first Broadway show I did after having children, we did, we actually did together, mm -hmm. oh, which no. was great. And what was it? so that, that job I originated in a regional theater in Connecticut, the Goodspeed Opera House. Mm -hmm. And okay. it was, it was such a great, incredible production that it went on, they wanted to bring it back to Broadway. And so it went on tour for a bit before it came back to Broadway. So we, you know, we had to take a nanny and, you know, it, it, you know, it was, and it was fun. We went to, we stayed like three months or so in LA. Yeah. And, um, with your, with just Abigail? Or we, both? No, Abigail. no, we had both. 
We had both. Kids, we had we, to take Abigail out of her nursery school and yeah, at Brick Church. At Brick Church. And um, you know, we we traveled with our nanny and yeah. um it was fun. And they had a ball. Yes. Yeah. And we both did the show together. And that for I thought how long were we out? Like two a, years. I mean the, the, no, whole, the job whole job was about two years. It was about two years. And then we came back to Broadway at the Booth Theater, and it was, you know, it was a fantastic, fun experience. So that was yes. another sort of divinely guided giant yeah. you know, experience that that we ended up in this show together in Connecticut and the kids were one and not quite one and four. So during the experience, they turned two and five. And oh. we were so they were young enough that we were able to travel them. And actually the show traveled to um, Los Angeles to give it a little more time because the lead woman who played the woman who played the lead was pregnant mm-hmm. when we were in Connecticut. And so they needed the show to, to keep developing and going so that she could have the baby and come back. But I thought uh, at that, even at that time, I thought that is amazing. That was amazing. That, yeah. that, you know, she was the lead and the director just wanted her. And that, right. yes. that is kind of an amazing thing that, that happened. Yeah. But and- it was fun. And it was, you know, also like one of the really good things of, that can happen in this country with theater is like the, the Goodspeed Opera House is considered a regional theater, mm-hmm. like the Dallas Theater Center. And then because the show got such favorable press, it was the most happy fellow. And it was a, a revival that actually was only, it had been a very, very big show with a very, very big orchestra. And it was a, a cast that came down. And because it was at a small theater, they did a two piano reduction. So it was only two pianos. And the reason the two piano score existed is because the woman that owned the theater in Maine where we worked was friends uh-huh. with the composer and Frank Lesser. And she asked him in her opening season in 1959, look, I want to do Most Happy Fellow. I can't afford an orchestra. Can this guy I have on staff here who ended up being a famous, you know, um, musician um, do a two piano reduction. And he's like, sure, I don't care what you do. And so (laughs) when the director wanted to do it, he said, I want to do this version and I want to do it small. And it was kind of the, at that time in musical theater, it was kind of the anti big, you know, uh, British show. It was the anti Miss Saigon and Les Mis. Matilda or. Oh, okay. It was like, this is what American musical theater is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about making you laugh and cry. And, you know, so it was. It was a beautiful show. It was a beautiful show. And we got it. it And y'all did it together. Like that's really neat. And your kids were there. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, Okay. Y'all lived in a place where your family wasn't there. Yeah. How, how did like a nanny and you, you're, I mean, you probably needed babysitters and things like that. How did you find that? Yeah. We, most of our babysitters were just like other actors or actresses that, that, (laughs) you know, that was, were needing money in between their auditions and, and, you know, and that's how it still is. In fact, a lot of the teachers that I, that work at shuffles, they work at shuffles and their other job because they're all auditioning. Their, their right. other job is babysitting and nannying. Oh. So it, it's a really a common thing for actress yeah. actors right. to, to, you know, to do that. And they're like fantastic because they're so fun it's and so creative fun. and, yeah. you know, so, so that was great. And the other thing is that we were also both freelance. And so you should, you know, that was a, the great thing is that buddy could take Abigail to the grocery store and have the old ladies yell at me. No, I would, yeah, know. but we, we would switch off, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, so he yeah. could take them if I had an audition yeah. or I would take them if, you know, so that yes. worked out really well. But we also I had that. babysitters that we would, you know, we would ask like the people in the nursery at church, Hey, do you babysit? Uh-huh. You know? Well, that's yes. true. Yeah. So we got a few, you know, kooky babysitters that way. Early on. <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> yeah. Okay, the other thing that I feel like keeps getting brought up is the money deal. Like, oh, yeah. Living That's... in New York's expensive. Yeah. Your jobs are not like, and I'll have this job from now until, you know, oh, sort it's... of like you're, you know, how, how did y'all manage the 
stress and pressure and unpredictability of that. We rolled pennies. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I did that. I think we were, we, you know, we felt the pressure, but I think we were either had either. I think it's a little bit that we were a little bit dumb and we we're a little bit like just had a lot of faith. You know what I mean? It's like, right. It's like, right. we don't want to do anything else because Gail's father kept saying to me, like, when are you going to get a real job? You know? And, um, and my parents were like, well, you can always come home. You know, I can get right. you a job as a music director at this church in Oak Cliff. It's like, I don't, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not. Right. Do that. And um, so you know, it is true, you know, when you work in theater, you can, you, you know, you can get a brilliant review in the New York Times, and then the next week be out of work and broke. So, um, which happened to us frequently. Well, it happened to us after a happy fella. Right. Um, you know, after working in a production contract, which is like the highest contract, you know, for theater. After two years of touring, and having a nanny, like a week later, we were broke. Yeah. Which is why I said I, I had this brainstorm to start Shuffles. Yeah. And I started Shuffles a week after Most Happy Fella closed. Yeah. Because you were because like, we I were want broke. consistent. Yeah. I know. I knew I would do anything and not go have to go back to a, like a temp job. But I mean, yes. Thought, I mean yes. in hindsight, that's true. But I think the real impetus for Gail starting shovels was that she wanted to give Abigail a great experience. No, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started for Abigail, but I also kept Abigail it. Abigail was five. I also kept okay. it when my partner, who I started with, quit after a year. I kept it because I didn't want to go back to Temple. And I, you know, and I didn't, I had never taught, I didn't know, I didn't have a grand plan that 30 years later, I would still be doing it and that it turned into the school that it has. Um, But I did know that I didn't want to give it up. Yeah, it was making. Uh There was something I knew that it was something that was, you know, either just a, you know, a good idea or we needed the money or whatever it was that just made me know that. I shouldn't give this up. It gets right. great at it and loves it. And, you know, it's also just growing up a dancing school dancer in great training in Dallas, you know? So she took all of that training that she had from growing up in these dancing schools in Dallas. It's like, it was nothing for her to do it. Like she's just like, and here's when we you order costumes and here's how we do this. I'm like, how do you know? Like <laughs> she just grew up doing that. You know, right. and it was generating income. And, you know, right after after we did Most Happy Fellow together, I like had some really great jobs that paid really great money and sang some really big symphony concerts that sang, paid really great money. And it seemed like every time we finished them, we were broke. And so, you know, <laughs> rolling pennies. It was, you know, <laughs> if you're an individual and, you know, you're living that life you know, you get your name in the times a few times and it may be that your income is very small, but you just go on unemployment and you look for the next job and it's okay. If you have children, it's a little different story. Seriously. So, yeah, and I yeah. think once you have children, your priorities just change, Right. you know? Right. So I, you know, at my brother said when I was pregnant, are you going to go back to work? And I'm like, of course I'm going to go back to work. What are you talking oh, about? Yeah. The yeah. second the baby's born, like you're like, oh, I don't want to go back to work. Well, Gail got a really, <laughs> you know? a really and I didn't bent. want to tour. I didn't want to yeah. be away from them. I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to right. Be, be well, a it's crazy how that happens. It like is. You think you think I'll be fine. Oh, I I, I did think that. Everything changes. It does. You know everything. Yeah. Um, on a tour, I didn't want. You know, there was things I just didn't want to do. And and because sure. you know, Gail was the 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 actor dancer that she was, you know, probably when we met you, she had gotten this phenomenal job. The, the year after um, most happy fellow closed doing this enormous production of Christmas Carol that um, uh, at Madison square garden that ran for 10 years, every holiday season. And it was Alan Menken who wrote, you know, all of the Disney shows (laughs) 
he wrote the music yeah. lyrics and Susan Stroman was the, you know, director choreographer and she knew Gail from her body of work. So it was this fantastic job. It became this outline for our family that yeah. every fall she would go into rehearsals for this giant production of Christmas Carol, which was beautiful and wonderful. And we would, you know, I would bring the kids down to meet her at Madison Square Garden and we would go over and have our picture made with Santa at Macy's. <laughs> You know, oh, but yeah, Thanksgiving and Christmas, I was pretty absent. So, you know, I mean, meaning that, that, yeah, so and exhausting because we were doing three and four shows a day. But so for like 10 years, I didn't, Buddy did all of the holiday parties and all the fun (laughs) stuff with them as far as, you know, during holiday time. But, but it was also a great transition for me to go from, um, having shuffles, which was small at the time. Yeah. And I would, when I was doing rehearsals and Christmas Carol, I would just hire my friends to take over shuffles, but I didn't give it up. And then right. I'd be so exhausted in January when the show was closed that I'd be like, I'm not auditioning anymore. I'm just going to, you know, I'm excited to be a mom and, right. and do, and do shuffles. Yeah. And so, you know, it, for 10 years, I kind of had, it was a great transition from performing to, doing shuffles for full time because I, for three months every year, I got to be a dancer performer and sit in the dressing room and, you know, do, and then I was exhausted. So then I was so happy to be a mom and do shuffles for the rest of the year. So um, it was a great transition. Oh, I love that. Um, Okay. I want to talk about your kids school. Like you mentioned that you were like, I don't even know anything about New York schools. And how did you navigate? How'd you navigate that? Because isn't it like a big thing? New York, it's not like Richardson where it's like this. That, is that's another God-led thing too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's another, if we look back, you know, that's another like. That's com- the theme of our lives. Completely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Divinely guided thing. So a friend of mine, I did this wacky show in Japan in 1989 and came back and wasn't singing anywhere, you know, uh, for church, you know, specifically because I'd been doing so much theater and a friend of mine who I had um, sung with at uh, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church said, hey, can you come up and sing at the Brick Presbyterian Church for Palm Sunday? You know, I need another tenor. And I said, sure. So I went up there and sang and the service was beautiful. And there were like 50,000 kids that came down the aisle. You know, it was, it was very much like a, like going to first Baptist Richardson. Like it was a completely family atmosphere. Yes. You know, lots of families and kids, very different than the big city churches that we had been attending as a young married couple. And when Abigail was young and then they said, well, can you stay here? for Easter and would you finish the season through May? And I was like, sure. And then my friend who brought me there was like, well, you know, the there's a nursery school here the, and it's, you know, really well known. And I said, well, you know, this whole like scene is not really us. And he's like, just, you know, I said, Abigail's going to the West Side Y co-op nursery. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you need to be quiet. He was right. Too. And he was right. He's like, <laughs> yeah. you need to be quiet. And just apply your daughter to the Brick Church Nursery School and keep your mouth shut. And we did. And they were so unbelievably welcoming and generous to us. Uh And um, we had no idea. It's like the best nursery school in the city. city. But we had, I mean, we had no idea. So that is, yeah. Is it hard to get in though? Yes. And it was like, you have to apply a year early. And that was like, what March it was, uh, and people, we had not thought about yeah. it. And people, when, when they heard our story, like classmates, parents of our kids, yeah. they'd be like, what, how did you get, how in? did you do that? They, they, con- they were con- like, they confronted us about like, <laughs> you know, people come here and apply before their children are born. So oh my. Oh my. You know, after Abigail was accepted, there's an article that came out in on the cover of New York magazine, like, the three nursery schools that will get your kid into Harvard. And it was like Brick Church, 92nd Street Y and Episcopal. And just 
We're and fine. sure enough, it worked. Uh, well, the funny thing is, is that she ended up going she to, went Harvard. to Harvard. I know. But, you know, it was that was just another miracle. I don't know. But, it's but, not like y'all set out to do that. No. Oh, like, not, okay. even, not even close. It was, we had no thought about that. It was, you know, yeah. and we, you know, we we had, you know, we were financial aid, but we always had to pay a portion. And then we made our pledge and I took the money I was making in the choir to pay our tuition, tuition balances. So it was all going back to the church. So, (laughs) you know, it was, we were kind of being taught how to manage money and how to be grownups, which, you know, (laughs) sort of against our will, you know, it was kind of like, it was God's will. It literally wasn't our will. And, And because then, you know, once you're in the, that situation, then one thing leads to the next. Then so, you go to the next school, you know. Right. Yeah. And so did I, Coleman also go to that? Yeah. Yeah. Preschool. Okay. Yeah. And we still go. And they, for the community is incredible. They have been so yeah. wonderful to us and to other people that, you know, that have gone through that need help or whatever. It's just been a yes. wonderful. Yeah. The outreach there it's been is a wonderful tremendous. community. So, yeah. right. Was it weird for your kids to navigate the fact that they're they were poor? Yes. You know what? Um, it affected Abigail uh, not near as much as it affected Coleman. And I do think I do think it affected Coleman because he always was like, well, why do they have a better game? Whatever those video game things are, you know, or why, you know, they're going on really uh-huh. great trips. And Abigail was always just like. Oh, come to our apartment for the play day. We can jump on our couch and yeah. it's really fun. Yeah. My dad is there even, you yeah. know, and like, um, so, you know, I mean, she just kind of oh, saw things with the glass half full yeah. and, and Coleman was always, it affected him a bit more, Yeah, but he, he also got great. Um, I mean, he got great education. He got great. I mean, I think he realizes how how you know wonderful it was but it did the social thing affected him a little more well we spend uh-huh. gail would take the kids a lot in the summer and i would join them but they would spend a month or six weeks in in mm-hmm. in dallas and richardson and my parents and we had really good friends in plano and stuff and coleman you know they had kids coleman's age and coleman was like why can't we live in Texas? You know, I want to ride a bike. I want to run around with my friends. It's just a lot easier. You, know, you like, have to like plan in New York and in, you know, in Dallas, you can just, you know, play in the yard and with your friends, yeah. you know, whatever. But, so. but then, you know, then you get into high school in New York city. It's a different story. It's like, Oh, this is, this is like, I can go anywhere I want oh, on a subway man. pass and nobody knows. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah. It's like, it's a very oh. different thing. It's like, you don't have to drive to get anywhere, you know, yeah. Which is, right. You have your free, you feel a little bit, little bit more independent. Yeah. Which is why we kept them very, very, very yeah. busy. Gail was, Gail <laughs> was really good. I mean, our, our children were extremely um, busy, you know? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's a good transition to talk about Abigail with ballet, Coleman with tennis. Cause they weren't like, kind oh, they of were full they were like on. Yeah. In it. Abigail was. Did they try a lot of things when they yeah. were little or well, did they quickly find these specialized yeah. things? Yeah, Coleman played. <laughs> he went to a boys' school and they played all sports. And he played mm-hmm. on a, yeah, he, a, he played on a travel soccer team. He played a little ice hockey. You know, he kept getting sick. He played chess hockey. at St. He was in a chess club, but and they had and they had good music and arts and stuff, but you know, he started excelling at tennis. And Gail had grown up in a tennis discipline family in Texas. Well, yeah, um, I kind of my two passions were tennis and ballet. So, you know, yep. yeah. So okay. I, you know, well, I kind of well. pushed them a little bit in that direction. Um, I did push Abigail also for tennis, but she had a dehydration. She still does has a dehydration thing that happens to her. And so in Texas, we'd be playing at Fritz Park and, yeah. you know, a hundred and two degrees outside. And every time I'd go pick them up, he would be out there killing it. And Abigail would be in the bathroom throwing up from her oh, dehydration. Oh, so gosh. It just, I mean, it it's not really that hard. I was being sexist or anything. Um, she, it just didn't work out for her, but, right. um, but a, a nice air conditioned ballet studio was much better for her. 
<laughs> so then yeah. y'all just got them in those activities to just, and they were like focused on, you know, in New York, a lot of families have country houses. So all the kids go away on the weekends. And, you know, I just feel like we just kind of, instead of always running out of New York, we kind of just plant, you know, got on a path of, you know, working on the tennis and working on the dance. And, you know, so it gave them activities and it gave them a focus and it gave them many hours uh, of, you know, not socializing. I mean, you know, they obviously had time to socialize, but it helped. In- well, not just roaming the city. Yeah. Right. It not helped in high school that they had gotten at a level in each of their, you know, the tennis and ballet that at that point they wanted to be yeah. getting better. They loved it. Right. And, you know- and they had friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, most of Coleman's good friends were in tennis and most of Abigail's good friends were in, in dance. And so it gave them a community outside of school. They also had the church community. But um, but I think it kind of happened for both of them because because we encouraged them that it was the discipline was important when they got to the age where a lot of kids either take off or drop something they took off which is usually around 13 or 14. So Uh I think it's also that they had been working at it for a while. So they, they felt, you know, they felt it's, you feel good when you're doing something that you've worked hard at and you're starting to see results. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Did you feel like there's a lot of pressure? She trained at the school of American ballet um, SAB, which is the theater school for New York City Ballet, and um, it is it extre- it is a, a extreme pressure cooker cooker. It's it, there's a lot of pressure, but also because but she lived here, so she could come home. Right, a and- lot of the kids in high school come there; they're recruited in from California or or around the world, really, and they come in sometimes at fourteen and live in the dorm. And I think those kids have a, a tough time, but Abigail every day came home and had dinner with us. And like, you know, she was a normal person and she was on her guard yeah. and that sort of yeah. thing at exactly. home. And That's she was good. good. She was a good student. But the, the other thing I think is that, you know, we worked in the business at, at a very high level. And right. I think it, you know, because we were, uh, we were working in a career that was you know, depended on hard work and discipline in mm-hmm. order to get your next job. So I think it was just part of the way our kids grew up was, was they saw us were always working to the next thing. And, right. and, uh, and, you know, Gail had a real perspective on what it meant to be a highly trained dancer and especially a ballet dancer. So, you know, when she's talking to Abigail about going through the next levels, And, you know, she knew exactly what that meant. And when you're, you know, when you're working at SAB and the intention of the the creation of that of that school is to create dancers who will become company members at New York City Ballet. Right. That's the reason the school exists. So it's not all about nurturing your kid and what's best for your kid. It's about what's best for New York City Ballet in the end. Wow. So, yeah, they're wow. not very nurturing. So they're not nurturing. Right. So there comes a point where no matter how much money you may give to New York City Ballet, um, your kid just doesn't have a ballet body, so they get rid of you. Yeah, yeah you know, they have a um, so cast. Hard. They have they cast yeah. kids in the Nutcracker and all these ballets, which becomes a big thing. And Abigail actually wasn't cast very much because she was tall. At that time, she's not tall now, but she grew really early. And so she missed out on a lot of that casting. And it was tough. You know, you'd you'd go run in and see what on the board, who was in the cast, and she wouldn't be on it. And so that was a lot of navigating that. And then she, you know, we, we, we worked through it. But finally, she, I just said, you know, so let's just go to another you know, let's just go to ballet class and they're in rehearsals. They're not able to go to class. So, and then for, you know, she was, it it paid off because she was actually 
getting better technically. And they were just doing all these fun performances, which was fun. And she would have done it, you know, right. But, right. but she was getting better technically. And so by the time she got to be about 13, 14, yeah. she was dancing better than anyone in the class. And, you know, so she ended up in New York City Ballet and none of those kids did. But part of it is that she had the body and she had all that for for ballet. And and she they, they didn't kick her out and they didn't kick her no. out. And, you know, she I think it strengthened her that she wasn't getting everything that she wanted, you know, uh-huh. in the beginning. And she had to yes. navigate that at a young age where a lot of parents would take their kids out and they didn't want them to be disappointed. And, you know, so we just talk because you're going to be disappointed in life. I mean, right. So we figured it out and she, uh, she got over it and um, ended up, you know, working out really well for her. Right. Well, she had, she had a real life experience. She did. At a younger age that sometimes disappointments lead to our good. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So, and if you never experienced that as a child, then the first time you experience it is as an adult. And that's really can be really, you know, terrible. What ended up, you don't know how to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. What ended up happening, all those disappointments really uh, strengthened her and helped her because she ended up having a career ending injury. And that was when she was 17 and um, she had only been in, you know, dancing with the company for a year. So um, it you know, I think she was able to draw on a lot of that. Oh that, my gosh. And um and that also propelled her to be strong enough to to go to get into Harvard, I think, too. But um oh, sure. Yeah. So you have to, you know, deal with disappointment. Oh my goodness. I want to hear a little bit more about shuffles. So we kind of heard about how it started, but what is it that keeps you doing it like? Now, like, what is it that you want to provide for kids? What do you think they need? You know, the I would say the first 10 years, I really um, was learning myself how to be a teacher. You know, I was still struggling with, I want to be a performer. I don't want to be teaching. So, you know, I had all these mixed emotions, even though I knew I didn't want to give it up and I, I loved it, but you know, there was a lot of mixed emotions and I think it, it, it was God's way of like, of giving me 10 years of strengthening me up and also maturing me to, to understand, you know, what, what I needed to do and, you know, so that I could be a better at it. And, and that's what happened. It, we, it organically grew. And when the kids then went to like college, I had so much more time to, you know, start to really delve into and provide, you know, get more, more, put more time into it, just get more into it. And then the school really started growing, but I was also more prepared, you know, to handle that. And so it was all just perfect timing. And, um, and now, you know, it, I mean, we had, we, we did get hit hard. I mean, pretty hard in COVID as everyone did. Um, but now it's, you know, it's doing really well. And over the years, I, you know, I've been a second mom to, I can't tell you how many kids, you know, so many of those kids have been at shuffles for like 15 years. And it is definitely like a home away from home in the middle of New York city, It's a community you know, where they no. feel safe, you know, um, they have a, a tremendous support. They have great friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun. They're tap dancing and singing and they feel good about themselves. And I've seen some kids, we've had students, I mean, we've had some dream success stories, but we, but we've had students that, you know, walked in there and couldn't hardly speak. And they, they end up, you know, well, one girl, this, um, girl whose family's from Haiti, um, ended up winning the Jimmy award, which is the national musical theater award in, um, for musical theater in for high high school seniors. Uh, and she literally could not, she was like almost like five eleven or whatever when she was like 12. And she could barely speak. She was so shy and didn't know she could sing. And then she and now she's 
I think she's doing a show down at the public. The, yeah, right the now. public. Which could anyway, she's public. like a big star. I mean, yeah. you know, she. I mean, so you yes, do, and you're like, so that's a, passing your passion. Yeah, but you know, yes. the other kids they go to like the call. You know, all the college musical theater programs, mm-hmm. and other kids just go to college like regular people, and they start the, a tap program there. But I, I, <laughs> I, you know, I've seen like such. You see them absolutely change before your eyes in confidence right and how they feel about themselves so I think that's what I love the most oh I love that to somebody who you know suburb kid that's like I really think I want to move to New York what advice would you give them do it yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's an adventure (laughs) Um, I don't know. I mean, you have to, you have to move here for a good reason, I would think, unless you just want to come for six months or, you know, just to see what, but you know, it it is, it is a fun, but tough place. It's, it's, it's not easy. But I would also say, you know, for, you know, like we were suburban kids and we moved there for here for theater, but there is, there is, you know, and, and being uh, uh, born and raised in Dallas, and my parents were both from Arkansas, like Dallas was like London or New York or Paris. It was this phenomenal place with all of these different, you know, intellectual people. You know, they moved here in 1956 and to Dallas and, you know, all these different restaurants and Dallas was like New York to them. I, I think there's a rhythm, you know, and a physicality about New York that's not like anywhere else in the United States. It's like having been born and raised in Dallas and seen a lot of the country, there is New York City and there's everywhere else. And it's and for for a lot of people, when they move here, it's like they love it and they don't want to leave. And it's not so much that that you have to succeed in what it is you think is bringing you here. It may just be that you as a person, this is a place that you need to live because, you know, it's like you might move here and want to be an actor or a dancer or a singer and end up, you know, doing a a training program in some other career and being really successful. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, you can be a successful success in finance or you can be a gigantically successful cater waiter, you know, I mean, and what I mean by that is you can make a good living and live well for New York, you know, but you're not like, like we were chatting about before you started recording, like we went 30 years raising children with no dishwasher. Now, you know, the houses we grew up in, in in Dallas and Richardson, all had dishwashers (laughs) are, you know, you know, and, and that was, but we moved to New York and you accept like life here is different, you know? So, you know, um, but and honestly, I didn't even think about washing dishes for 30 it, years. It wasn't important. I, well, you know, and now that I have a dishwasher, I'm like, how did we do that? Yeah. I mean, but what was important? What was it? I didn't even think about it. What was important is that we wanted to be in this place, you know? So, you know, to round back to this is, you know, um, we did take a little time in 1985 and we came back to Dallas um, and we did it on purpose. We subleased our apartment. Gail had had some knee um, surgery and and wanted a recovery. And we both started working. I was substitute teaching in public schools in, you know, Garland and Carrollton and stuff. And we started working in regional theater in Dallas and it was really great. And, you know, I shot a like, few commercials and Dallas was booming then. And, in you know, theater. and in theater, in theater yeah. well, it, well and in always economically. Yeah. And we were like, wow, this is really great. We got a little apartment and we kept extending our sublease. And then Gail got pregnant with Abigail and which was, you know, was not just an accident. And we looked at each other and she was about seven months pregnant. It was like, we have to get back to New York. We have to go home. You know, like <laughs> if if we don't get back to New York and we have this baby in Dallas, we are never going to leave. 
And so our parents were we, all saying, you've we, got to stay, like, you you've to got stay. to stay, we, you have, and, you're having a baby. And we went back to New York. <laughs> we kicked our subwater we out were, of our apartment. We wanted to go we back. We moved back to New York. We created a little nursery in our one bedroom apartment. And we were like, we are not leaving New York City, you know? So it was like, yeah. And, and I'm sure there were times where y'all were like, why are we staying? You know, uh, like, why are we doing this? But it's that like. No, we've got to stay. Like we yeah. have to stay. Well, because I came it, there. It wasn't all easy, you know. Oh, it's no. not. You know, it's not easy. Yeah, I mean, right. I, there I, are easier places to live. Yes. Yeah. You know, a lot easier. But that's what I was saying. You have to. There has to be a reason you want to be to move here and be here. Right. And it's like um, the the pastor at, at Fifth Avenue. He said, you know, some of you all. He'd say this all the time. Some of you all have been in New York City for ten years. Visiting, visiting, yeah, and <laughs> and he's like, it's time to find your church home, right? Yeah, you know, join the church. It your it's, home. it's time now, to say we did do that early, early, early yeah. on. But you know, I do think you you do have to you know decide. I'm going to join a church. I'm going to you know you have to put down some roots to exactly. make anything feel like home, right? And we did exactly. that. And, and so New York felt like home. Yeah. We, right. you know, we, we had no trouble making our homes here. And we were also fortunate in that we were working in the careers we wanted. So I think sometimes people, if they don't, if they set goals for themselves and they don't achieve those specific goals, they, they keep saying, well, I'm only going to stay here until I do this. And if that doesn't happen, they don't stop and say, you know what? I'm a professional waiter in New York City and I like it. And and um, it's okay. You yeah, say. they're too stuck on the goal that they thought was right. It doesn't you know, necessarily. Them. Yeah, mean, I may never do a Broadway show. That, yes, that may never happen. You know, so um, we're fortunate that it did. But I do think that we we love living here. You know. Yes. So not everybody does. So you know, and I tell people that move here. This place is not Texas. This place is not South Carolina. This place is not, you know, Vermont. So you have to accept that New York City is New York City and then go home and visit those other places and then come back to your new home. I really love the way Buddy and Gail took faithful steps and were okay with not knowing the entire plan. In fact, I think that's sort of how they roll. They enjoy that. They went where they felt led and trusted that it was going to work out. It made me self-reflect a bit on how often, in order for me to trust a decision, I need to know the big plans and the details around it. I'm not saying having plans is necessarily like a bad thing. However, I noticed how Betty and Gail were quickly able to call out the divine appointments, those God moments because they were okay with stepping forward in faith without knowing the details. It was really obvious that God worked it out because they were like, we didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) So God worked it out. And their story points me towards the truth that God takes care of us and our kids. Yeah, God takes care of us and our kids. We don't have to force and manipulate things. Yes, They put forth effort. We put forth effort. We put forth work. And yes, there are disappointments and hardships. The the point is not that it was all easy and like, oh, that's so simple. But the truth remains that God will take care of us. He took care of Buddy and Gail and their kids in beautiful, big ways. And he does the same for you. He will take care of you and he will take care of your kids. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will talk to you next time. And last little thing, if you are feeling pulled towards New York City, go for it. You should totally go for it.